sportsgrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. Sportsgrid.com. Well, we had Wednesday afternoon football, which basically took away Thursday evening football. That doesn't mean there isn't college to talk about. And also a new game on the college football schedule that could potentially affect the outcome of the college football playoff. I'm Craig Mish, along with Joe Pizapia. Next two hours, fantasy discussion from the football angle, of course, recapping yesterday's game, looking ahead to the weekend games, and also taking a look at the fantasy baseball landscape with a handful of players that could have some fantasy relevance that were non-tendered by their Major League Baseball teams. Joe, happy Thursday to you and hope you're well. Happy Thursday to you. And yeah, we got baseball, we got basketball, we got even football today. It's a very busy Thursday here. A lot of stuff happening on the show. And I don't know about you, but yesterday afternoon, right around four o'clock or so, I put the tree on and sat down and, and watched an NFL game in the middle of the week, in the late afternoon. And I loved it. I think this should be a tradition. I love it. Just give me one standalone game there. Wednesday afternoon football. I know some people can't see it, but I can. I'm home. So why not? Let's do it. I, I loved it. It was very relaxing. It was very calm. Got to just focus on the game. I'm all for it. And uh, look, obviously uh, a big deal to the Steelers in this game, losing Bud Dupree for the year, which looks like a torn ACL. That is, that is huge news and a huge blow to not only this perfect season that they're chasing, but also a huge blow to this defense because Dupree's been just fantastic for them the last two years. Yeah, and I think no surprise, the quality of the game was very low. Steelers didn't play well in particular, and and basically give the Ravens credit for fighting through that one. Okay, mm-hmm. let's take a look at our headline for today. Steelers beat the Ravens Wednesday afternoon football. It was pretty much uh, what most people thought, with the exception of a blown... Uh, I mean, honestly, the, the game was so poorly played in the first half, it couldn't get any worse. So the second half actually provided some action just because of mistakes all over the field giving the Ravens the cover, and I'm mad about that because I did like Pittsburgh in that one. Coastal Carolina, this is a big story. Coastal Carolina is having their best college football season ever, and it will roll on this week against BYU, the team that hasn't played in a few weeks and essentially was looking to play somebody else on the schedule. They are trying to get into that college football playoff. They fell so far behind two weeks ago when the uh, standings came out and the rankings came out that maybe a win against Coastal Carolina gives them a little bit of a boost. They're going to have to hope a lot of other things happen, obviously, to get into that playoff, but this is the right move for them. And for Coastal Carolina, the biggest game in school history coming up Saturday, so looking forward to that. The big story in the NBA, yesterday we had Russell Westbrook traded for John Wall. Interesting deal that sends Westbrook to Washington. They clearly think that he's got a lot more left. John Wall has not shown anything in two years, but apparently he is going to play, go to Houston, and uh, at least for the time being, uh, team up with James Harden if that still is their plan, which we don't know as of now. Anthony Davis, as Chris mentioned in the update, signs a five-year max deal, so he'll be with the Lakers, keeping him and LeBron James intact. And then, uh, not, not a surprise, a few Broncos were fined for not wearing a mask there yesterday. But yeah, aside from football, it is interesting because, Joe, it's very hard for these non- big schools you would say or power five conferences to play in that college football playoff and uh, to BYU's credit they've done nothing except for win every game and be dominant maybe one of the most dominant teams in all of college football but their schedule ended up hurting them it's not to say that coastal carolina is going to help necessarily but they have been 
as good as any team in college football in terms of winning straight up. So, uh, listen, this is going to be, I hope, an entertaining game. BYU has crushed the souls of a lot of teams this season with their defense, and, and Coastal Carolina hasn't seen a team like this. The line is 9.5 on the FanDuel Sportsbook. BYU, the big favorite. Yeah, uh, look, I think I agree with what you said there, and obviously BYU's had a really good season there. And, you know, this college season is very difficult with all the, you know, obviously lesser games and all of the movement of the schedule and all the things that have happened and who started when and what. All it, it has been really difficult to kind of get an identity of who are the best teams necessarily. But, you know, it, it's basically going to be the old standbys when all said and done when we look to the college playoffs. That would be my guess. But certainly it doesn't mean it's less of an interesting game tonight, that's for sure. And and I think BYU is definitely worth watching. And, and going back to this NBA trade, I just want to kind of point on this too because I don't know what this means for Harden, and I don't think anybody really does. Does Harden still want out now that they've made this deal for Westbrook? And there's a narrative going right now, too, that, well, Westbrook's reunited with his old coach there with Brooks, where he played with in Oklahoma City, and, and maybe that's going to be good for him. And you know, maybe that was some of the better versions of him that we've seen in his career. I don't know, but it seems like the Houston Rockets situation is a really precarious one right now because what are they doing? What is John Wall at this point in his career? And also... Is this just one of more moves to come? Is a Harden deal going to happen? And if so, where does that leave the Rockets next year? I don't think it leaves them in a very good spot. So I don't know about you, Craig, but this is a, a really strange, I think, confluence of events here where it just seems like the Rockets maybe are just sort of deciding, hey, you know what? Maybe this grouping that we thought we could assemble was going to work. It didn't. Let's move on from it and let's maybe scrap the whole thing. I mean, where do you think the Rockets are right now after this trade? Well, the, the whole signal is Harden. So basically, there are some that feel that Harden wanted Wall there. There are some that feel that this is the precursor to a Harden trade that sort of tears down Houston. Nobody really knows for sure. They've made changes in the front office. Now they've made changes on the court. And it's a compelling team. And Harden is a compelling player. I think Westbrook at this stage is still more or less an elite player. He'll be a Hall of Famer when it's all said and done, but you know it's kind of sad to see him moving around, and I don't think that Washington's going to be his final destination. I think that you're going to see him move around quite a bit toward of the end of his career. So uh, we'll see what happens, and I'm guessing we're going to know because the NBA season starts in less than a month, and training camp is getting ready to open up very soon. All right, plenty more to come here on the show. As we come back, we'll go through our fantasy standouts. And uh, honestly, our fantasy bums from yesterday. I got a bum on this list here that I want to talk about coming up next for sure. So we'll hit on that as Fantasy Sports Today rolls on in just two minutes. Make sure you stay on the grid. SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com. And welcome back to Fantasy Sports Today, where the tree lighting on NBC is more fascinating than the NFL games. We could break the tree lighting game down. I could give away some fantasy MVPs, some good performances, by the way, at 8 o'clock Eastern. <laughs> Even being Jewish, watched a little bit of that last night. Don't know how that ended up happening in my house, but we were there. Okay, uh, fantasy standouts from the Wednesday afternoon game. Not a lot to love here, but let's look at it. Ben Roethlisberger. Thankfully, nobody played anybody in this game, I'm hoping. But Ben Roethlisberger, 36 <laughs> of 51 passes, 266, one touchdown, one pick. 
probably his worst game of the year. And and that's fine because that was kind of expected. And if you played him, you sort of got what you paid for. Benny Snell, 16 carries, 60 rush yards, three receptions, 33 yards, 9, 10, 12 fantasy points, somewhere around those lines. Juju Smith-Schuster did have eight catches and the touchdown, so perhaps he cashed in for you with 37 receiving yards and a score. Chase Claypool, six for 52. Eric Ebron, seven for 54. And then there is Deontay Johnson, eight receptions, 46 yards, and literally dropping the pass that would have ended the game, not to mention dropping mm-hmm. end zone passes. I just... Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm not happy with Deontay Johnson, <laughs> and I suppose <laughs> things will get better because he's a young player, and and I don't want to put too much on him, but I am not happy with this player <laughs> at all. I just, Somebody stunning. is I mean, in the, the principal's office in fantasy sports today. The last pass the like principal's that, office. That hey, that pass that Roethlisberger was a beautiful pass right to mm-hmm. him, hit him right in the hands and dropped it. Yeah, and then of course, and then and then and then basically the I mean Tomlin was just killing his team after the game. And then this McSorley, uh, before we get to the Ravens, comes in the game and and throws the pass to Brown, and they fell down. Two guys fell down, and he just ran all mm-hmm. the way for the touchdown. So yes, it sounds like sour grapes. So I won't have too much of it, and I'll move on from this. But uh, I, I was. You'll learn I to think live people again, are going to make too much performance by Pittsburgh, but they were very unimpressive <laughs> to me in this game. They were unimpressive. They they absolutely were unimpressive. And, and and you know you could say they were flat and all the stopping and starting and the preparation is all and and I think that's all fair. Uh, to be honest with you, and this was not a good game for Deontay Johnson. He had a bunch of big drops here, including that one for the touchdown too in that first quarter that. Uh, was so just right in his hands there. That would have been an easy touchdown. But there were some failures oh. there in the red zone on both sides of this ball. And, um, you know, like Roethlisberger threw that terrible pick at one point. Uh, you also had that ineptitude at the very end there where, yes, they should have called the flag on that play down at the goal line where obviously the guy in the Pittsburgh Steelers was laying on top of the guy in the Ravens and not getting up, and they should have had whatever the delay of game or whatever you want to call it, given them more time to set up whatever the next play is. But, you know, they ran the play, so at the end of the day, that's what it was. So there was a lot of sloppiness, a lot of ineptitude, a lot of flatness, I would say, generally speaking, in the first half of this football game. I want to give the Ravens' defense a ton of credit, though, because they played as hard as you possibly could under the circumstances. They played really, really well. Uh, I also think, despite the injuries of Smith and uh, despite the injuries they had there, uh, Marcus Peters, too. I mean, they lost players in this game and continued to play pretty strong. And I, I think when you look at this wide receiving core for the Pittsburgh Steelers, before we move on to the Ravens side of this one, that is a group that is going to continue to learn and get better and better. Uh, you know, Deontay Johnson is still a third-year player, basically, a second-year player right now. Next year will be third. Claypool is going to be in his second year. Juju is just 24 years old. I think we forget how young they are sometimes, and sometimes there's some youthful mistakes in there. Our our producer, Brett Levy, had a great call. He said basically all the receivers had the same game. <laughs> he was right. You know, you look at the fantasy output, it's pretty much the same game across the board for all three of these guys. But when this team is going well, This is a very, very good wide receiving core, one of the deepest in the league. And you could throw in James Washington in there, too, who, you know, has some moments sometimes and then some other moments other times that make you kind of question things. But this was not a great uh, prolific win for the Steelers. You lose Bud Dupree also. And when you go back and look at some of the teams that the Steelers have beaten, besides the Ravens, there's some real questions there about the, you know, the 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 level of competition that they've seen so far. And maybe we'll talk more about this tomorrow, but it just feels kind of more like 
the Pittsburgh Steelers deserve all the credit for winning all the games that they have this year. And we can start to pick it apart a little bit. But after a game like that, it makes you go back and look now that we have more perspective on who these teams are that they have beaten. And yes, Tennessee is a good team. And and yes, they're going to be a playoff team. But for the most part, you know, you got wins against the Jaguars. You got wins against, uh, you know, Cincinnati. You got wins against teams that you really don't think of as that high echelon AFC team. And I can't wait to see them play some more competition in the playoffs, especially maybe the Titans again or somebody like that when they are maybe in a better situation. So it's going to be fascinating to see. So what were your takeaways from the Ravens side of this one? It was really bad. Uh, yeah. Uh, Robert Griffin III played in this game. That's putting it nicely. Unfortunately, he got hurt there at the end. I think we've seen the the end of him playing. It's, it's really remarkable, honestly, that the Ravens went into this season with Griffin as the backup because he does not look like he can play anymore. 7 of 12, 33 pass yards, 68 rush yards. It, it just got to a point where I guess that they, that they weren't going to let him throw anymore, and then he ran, and then he got hurt. Uh, McSorley came in. Gave a little bit of a boost, but let's be real who mm-hmm. he is, which is not much. 16 rushing yards. He threw that touchdown to Brown. Brown's guys fell down, and then he ran. So that's how he ended up with 85 yards and a touchdown. And then Gus Edwards, nine carries, 10 yards, and a touchdown. I'll, I'll stick with, with what I said yesterday. I don't think they should have played this game. I think it should have been played at a later date. I, I think that it was competitive with guys falling all over each other and making mistakes, and that's not something that I want to see. So I am hopeful that we never have to see afternoon football like this played again. I just now again, I did not watch the game from start to finish, but I saw enough in the first half and the second half to know that I didn't need to. And really it's fun to watch any NFL game, any college football game, any college basketball game, NBA, because the spread is always going to be a factor at the end of the game for sure. Mm. So that's why I'm always dialed into that. But beyond that, I thought the level of play was very poor and while the Ravens' defense is good, the Steelers showed less on offense than they showed in any other game this NFL season. So I'm I'm hoping that we can get through this rest of the season and not have to deal with it. I'm a little scared that we may still have to endure it, but having sports mm-hmm. is better than not having it, and that's really all that matters at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. But I'm looking at that Tuesday night game next week between Baltimore and, and Dallas going – yeah, I mean, I think that the game will be competitive like in terms of the nature of who will be on the field. I'm I'm worried that that game won't get played. And so it's the dynamic of having the pick games also in the super contest, use players in fantasy and wondering if you're going to get to that Tuesday game and you're playing for your fantasy playoff life and you have Lamar Jackson, a quarterback. Do you play him? Next Tuesday, like, are you? Are you are I think you, sure? you have to. <clears throat> I think you have to against the Dallas Cowboys. You play anybody against the Dallas Cowboys this year? How about if they, they don't play the better. game? Well, that's that's different. That's the part <laughs> of it. It's not about Lamar no, Jackson. It's about no, playing that's, the game. Is Dallas going to play? Like, if I have Ezekiel Elliott in both my leagues, and I'm going to need to, you know, it looks like one of the leagues I'm in somehow. I don't know, but it, I think I need to win in both the leagues to get into both uh, playoff situations. And I have Elliott. And so if something goes wrong between Thursday or, I'm sorry, Saturday, Sunday, or Monday, what do I do? I mean, like, I just lose the guy? And that's the part of fantasy that's just that's it's crushing me this year. Well, it's, it's made baseball we've made baseball impossible this year uh, for me. When you set those weekly lineups and you lose a player for an entire week, that, that was very difficult to do. Um, <clears throat> you know, but going back to the Raven situation of this game, too, I did watch all four quarters every play of this game. And I'll tell you this, my big takeaway was – Hollywood, I know. Well, I don't know about congratulations, but but it's funny because I was telling you off air. I said my big takeaway was Hollywood Brown was terrible in this game for three and a half quarters. Then had that one catch, and the guy 
is a he's a liability as a blocker he has trouble with routes he has sometimes questionable effort and then he has that one play where he can break away and honestly it was a bad job by the Steelers secondary too why they were going for the ball at that point in time in the juncture in the game as opposed to just going for the player was just crazy to me I don't know why they were so aggressive at that point where they were in the game they had it in hand and the last thing you want is Hollywood Brown to do what he did which is break away and all of a sudden have this huge run but he is such a trap in fantasy next year because there will be a narrative out there well it's a third year in the league and all this stuff and it was the same nonsense narrative we heard last year which is oh it's the second year in the league and he's healthy and all this stuff I'm telling you right now, this is a guy I don't think people should touch. The wide receiving uh, pool is so good. You don't need a guy like this on your fantasy team who has maybe that potential for that one play, but for four quarters can look like a complete dud. Yeah, it's it's uh, he's he's a tough one because you know the talent is there. It just hasn't been on the field. All right, we'll play a game. Is the wrong team favored? Coming up next, make sure you stay on the grid. Don't go away. SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com. And welcome back. It is Fantasy Sports Today here on SportsGrid. Coming up, Andrew Erickson is going to join us. We're going to run through all of the good fantasy matchups coming up. That's about 10 minutes from now, so make sure you stay tuned. Also, a little bit later in the show, we'll go through all the Major League Baseball non-tenders, see potentially which will have fantasy value for the 2021 season, a little fantasy or reality as well. All right, well, let's take a look at some lines that are one, two, or three on the short side and determine if the wrong team is favored in the NFL. We do this each and every week and see whether or not we feel the line is right or wrong, if the opposite team should be favored. We've seen some movement in some of these, so I'll go ahead and, mm. and update these for you guys as we go along here. But let's start off with the first one where the line is the same as it was uh, yesterday. The Chicago Bears are minus three against the Detroit Lions. They are at home, Joe, and uh, both teams coming off super disappointing games. The Bears coming off a really disappointing month. The Lions fired their coach. They fired their GM. So let's start off with the Bears and Lions. Bears minus three. Well, look, the question is, do we get the game from the Lions that we've seen out of a few other teams this year when they fired the head coach, which and you've, you've talked about on the show many times this year, is, hey, the, the team comes out, they play inspired, they feel like they've got something to prove, and they have an opportunity. Now, that being said, despite all of the offensive line woes and despite all of the issues that the bears have had recently, I got to say, I think the right team is still favored here. I think the best unit of all four of these right now is still the bears defense. So despite all the struggles of the bears, Montgomery was better last week. The very efficient. That's for sure. Running the football, you know, Robinson had his Robinson game. Trubisky from a fantasy perspective, put up points, but obviously has still many, many deficits in his game. And look, the one thing you can do is you can run the football on the Detroit Lions historically this year. That has been kind of money in the bank. So with Swift still in concussion protocol and still some guys, you know, still pretty hurt. I love the idea of the narrative that the Lions can, you know, rally around and say, okay, Patricia's gone, GM's gone, we're showing everybody what we're playing for now, we're going to go out there and give a different kind of effort. I don't know. I find it a a tough sell right now. So I kind of do think the right team is favored here with the Bears. Greg, do you feel differently? Do you think this is an opportunity here where a lot of people just kind of are dismissing that aspect yet again and it's going to turn around and bite them? Yeah, the data says to take the Lions. It does. And so you got to kind of close your eyes. Take some Pepto, (laughs) swallow it, 
and just blindly take Detroit this week, which is probably something that we're going to end up doing in the contest. Um, I'd love, you're right, I'd love to know that Swift and Galladay are playing. I'd feel a lot better about that. I think you have to make the Bears a favorite, but why should the Bears be favored by more than one over any team in the NFL after what we've seen the last month? Uh, I mean, even, I mean, who are we talking about? Jacksonville? Ah, maybe Jacksonville wins. Carolina? I probably would take Carolina. Uh, The Jets? Yeah. I mean, that's probably the one team that they should be favored by. But Detroit is, 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 again, when it comes to betting, I don't know why it is, but it's just that immediate, we got to show that it was all about the coach and not about the player boost. Who is the coach of the Lions? I'm sorry. I don't even know. Did they name a coach, a head coach? I believe it's Bevel is going to be taking over. I'm almost is it? okay. Yeah, I have no, yeah. I have no idea. And whoever it is is not going to be the coach because they're going to bring in a new no. GM. But regardless of that, mm-hmm. there's just this, uh, this immediate boost from players, like saying it's us against the world, and we're going to show that 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 it was his play calling and and him putting in the spots, and then immediately the teams usually lose like five six games in a row after that. So I, I do think the right team is favorite. I do think they shouldn't be favored by three over any team in the NFL. And so it's not a matter of me picking one team or the other. So I think the right team is favored. It should be the Bears, but blindly in terms of betting, um, I think you got it. I think you got to take the Lions or nothing. Uh, okay, it now is let's Bevel, move on. By the way, just to confirm, it is Bevel. It is Bevel. So I was right there. Okay, yeah. mm-hmm. that's what I thought. Um, okay, so uh, now let's move on to the uh, Sunday afternoon game. And this will be the New England Patriots against the Los Angeles Chargers. Now, as you see here, it says the Patriots are minus one. This line is now flipped where the Chargers are slight Mm -hmm. favorites here. (laughs) So I'll start off here. First of all, there's one very important factor that's in play for me, which is I will never take the Chargers in any game in the NFL. Maybe next year. I mean, look, things could be different. But after what I saw against Buffalo last week, it's not that I've t- – if the Chargers are plus 10 in a game, I would consider it because I do think that they have some talent there. But in a short line like this, I would never take the Chargers. I don't, I don't even have a lot of confidence in the Patriots either, but they just bungle their way through games, make mistakes, the coaching is poor, and I, I don't know if I'm going to have a strong opinion on the game so if the Chargers are one, and again, it's not really a favorite or not when you're talking about one, but if the Chargers are one – then the wrong team is favored because I think that New England should be favored. They have the better coach. New England is still fighting now, right? Like they are, they still feel like the yeah. chance is there. It's a very slim chance to make the playoffs, but it is sitting there. If they run the table, they're going to get in. So the wrong team is favored with the Chargers minus one. If the Patriots are minus one, then the right team is favored. I have no confidence in the Chargers. None. No, why should you? What what about the Chargers' ability to close any game this year should give you any confidence? And I'm going to kind of harken back to what Benny Ricciardi said yesterday on the show, which is, you know, if you think everything is equal, go with the coach. And I'm going to go with Bill Belichick finding a way to win this football game. And, and look, Herbert's played really well. Keenan Allen's been great. Eckler's been healthy. There's a lot of reasons where I can understand the Chargers being favored. But at the end of the day, when you're looking at what's gone on here with this Charger team and every lead they've had, they've basically blown and they can't finish game strong and they have some execution issues. You can't have execution issues against the Bill Belichick team. That's going to eat you up for breakfast. It's just going to be a problem. So I think the Patriots should be favored in this game. But I'm kind of like you. I'm not really confident in anybody. But Ty, for me, just like Benny yesterday, Ty goes to the coach here in this situation. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Uh, Okay, so Sunday Night Football, another line that has changed, and this isn't that surprising uh, because the the Bills probably should be favored in this game, 
But here, here's where the missing element is, is that you see this logo here of the Bills at the 49ers. This game is not in San Francisco. It's in Arizona. So the line opened up with Buffalo minus three. It went down to two and a half, and now it's even less than that. And I think that that's right. So in my opinion, the Bills should be favored, but it shouldn't be all that significant. There's no home field advantage for San Francisco, but you can't dismiss the fact that they can run the ball. So if they run the ball, they're going to be able to keep the game close. And the Bills have come down to the wire in a lot of games this season. Um, I, I don't know that I'll have an opinion on, on this game, to be honest with you, because I, I can't make of what San Francisco is. They're a freaky team. They uh, played great against the Rams in the first half. They played horrible against the Rams mm -hmm. in the second half and honestly could have easily lost the game after being up 14 in the fourth quarter. So... I do sort of think the right team is favored, but it's a coast-to-coast -coast game in a weird spot, and we've seen these weird spots in the NFL. So just yuck for me, and I'll say, yeah, maybe the Bills are the right team, but I could see San Francisco winning this game too. They're healthy now, and, and in a neutral spot, bizarre things can happen. So just throw this game away from me, basically. I got nothing. <laughs> Well, I'll tell you, I think the right team is favored. I think you have to give the Bills because of their health and because of their record enough respect to be favored in this game, despite the fact it's on the road. And yes, it's a, a neutral site now, even though it's a theoretical home game for the 49ers. I think the 49ers are super dangerous in this game. They are super dangerous. I mean, the, the with Moster back healthy, with Debo Samuel back healthy. You know, I don't think they're going to be, you know, somehow backdooring their way into the playoffs in the NFC when all said and done. But I do think they have enough right now going for them when they can start to play spoiler here. And the one thing we keep saying every week about the Bills, even when they win, there's not that feeling that they're dominating. There's a feeling like when they win the game, they go, okay, well, that was a Buffalo win, but they're not dominating on either side of the football. They're, they're finding ways to win. And sometimes it's also the ineptitude of other teams. It's the ineptitude of the Chargers. It's the ineptitude of the Rams. You look at some of their recent bigger victories, theoretically. They haven't been impressive victories. They've been spots where they've let teams kind of hang around. And I think that's very dangerous right now with the 49ers who feel like, hey, we're finally getting healthy. You get Sherman back last week too. So they're getting some defensive players healthy. I mean, the, the incredible amount of injuries the 49ers have suffered this year has been staggering. So for me, I think this is a very dangerous game here for Buffalo, and I'll be very, very cautious of it. But I still think you have to favor them in this game because of the records and because of the health uh, of the Buffalo Bills so far this year. Yeah, very tough one for me this yeah. week. Okay, well, listen, we always play as the wrong team favorite. Let, let's dive into maybe is the line too high. And, and Sunday we have the Giants at the Seahawks. And, and I got to tell you, Seattle minus 10 here. If this line was nine, eight and a half, eight, uh, and, and Jones was playing, I would take the Giants. They've been great at keeping games close. But you're going to have to sell me on how Colt McCoy keeps this game close. That, that's, that's my concern here. But even if Seattle, honestly, Joe, if they were seven with Jones, the Giants, I, I mean, it doesn't matter who they play. They're always in the end of the game. But – Yikes, if they go down significant in this one, if they go down like 10 or 13, I'd, I'd be a little bit worried. But I don't want to say that the, that I don't want to give the Giants credit because they've been the best covering team in the NFL this year. Well, this is the question. It's it's what can Colt McCoy do against that Seattle defense? And it is a huge question mark. And I agree with you. If this was Daniel Jones in this line, I think this is the no-brainer. Let's take the Giants to cover well, yet course, again. Of course. They've been the cover machine, though. And I guess the question is, there's, I believe, as we get closer to Sunday, the chance for this to grow. 
Would you agree with that? And if so, if it starts growing, do you start to look at the effort level of the Giants and what they've done all year, despite losing Saquon, despite losing Shepard, despite losing guys that they've lost in the season and continuously competing? It's a very tricky one. I think it's about right. But if it starts to go to, I don't know, 11 and 12, I don't know. It starts to feel like yet again, like this terrible trap. I don't think that the Giants have any business in the same category as Russell Wilson and the Seattle Seahawks, but we haven't seen this too with Seattle. Sometimes they get in these weird trappy games too, where they play up or down to the level of their competition we've seen this year. I mean, you could be right. I don't know. I think some buyback on the Giants may come here actually because of the line okay. being so big and it being a New York team, but it's. I don't think Daniel Jones is worth six points, and I think Seattle would probably be six or seven even with Jones there. So it's he's only worth three or four. It's an interesting line. We'll check back on it tomorrow. Coming up next, Andrew Erickson joins us. Don't go away. SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com. Welcome back, everybody. Fantasy Sports Today right here on Sports Grid, And it's that time again. It's time for a little past, a little present, and a little future with our good friend from Pro Football Focus, Andrew Erickson. The hat is back, I see. He says the hair is growing long. Ladies, ladies, he's taken. So please just send your Twitter mail and all the other things somewhere else because he is unavailable. But luckily, he's available for us every single week as we talk a little NFL with you. And Andrew... I want to start with Taysom Hill because, well, it, I can. And I want to start here because he's got the Falcons again this week. But I want to talk about the last couple of weeks of him and go in the past a little bit because there is a sentiment out there where he's killing the value of Alvin Kamara. He's killing the value of Michael Thomas. And basically, he's killing a lot of lineups right now. And I guess here's my question. Are we putting too much stock into what happened last week? Because last week was such a, a cakewalk kind of game against Denver under the scenario and the situation that ended up bearing itself out. Or are you legitimately concerned that as long as Taysom Hill is there and if Taysom Hill is there next year, then all of a sudden Alvin Kamara and Michael Thomas might have to be reevaluated a little bit? I do think that the concerns with Kamara are legitimate. He's not going to see ever the same type of target share in the offense that he saw with Breeze. It's just not going to happen with a mobile quarterback. We see it across the league. You know, you look at Kyler Murray. He's not running as much. Oh, what do you know? Kenyon Drake is now magically involved in the passing game. So you're <laughs> seeing this type of correlation between these mobile quarterbacks and these pass catchers. But sometimes we do see random spikes in terms of pass production from mobile quarter from mobile quarterbacks to these running backs. It's not like, okay, Kamara's never going to have, you know, double digit targets in a game ever again with Taysom Hill. It's not something you can always bank on, but you have to lean on the talent of Alvin Kamara and be like, look, I can't imagine the saints are just going to not try to get him the ball again. Last week. I do think you should throw it out the window because like you said, the scenario of the game, I mean, I, are we taking consideration the Broncos? Are we like downgrading all Broncos players because, oh, well, they suck. Goose egg, goose egg, goose egg. Like, no, you can't like you have to throw it out the window. So I think you got to do it with the Saints. The Saints knew, hey, oh, they don't have a quarterback. OK, like, let's just run like the most simplified offense possible. Let's give it to Latavius Murray. Don't turn the ball over. Why show anything on tape when you have to play the Falcons for a second straight time right. who now have already played you once? So I think there's way more dimensions to this Taysom Hill offense that Sean Payton has not even shown us at this point. And I think that we're going to see way more of Alvin Kamara again. The Falcons, 
What's their bugaboo been for like the Always. past five years? Running backs who catch the ball in the backfield. Exactly. Ding, ding, ding. Exactly. So, I mean, again, it's definitely going to lower his ceiling. And if Taysom Hill is a quarterback there next year, you're going to have to take that into the projections when you look at a guy like Kamara. But, I mean, for this week, like, he's still an RB1. Like, he's probably going to catch like five or six passes. He's probably going to have 100 yards rushing. Like, he'll be fine. I'm not too worried about him in this matchup. All right. Very good. I, everybody's sighing a lot of relief there. And I'm sure everybody wants Drew Brees' ribs to get healthy real quick, though, because <laughs> they, they like stability. Everybody does. We like to be able to look. If you're paying first round value of guys like Michael Thomas and guys like Alvin Kamara, you need them to perform every week. And when they don't, people get a little antsy and I can't blame them. All right. Let's uh, let's talk a little past two. Let's go all the way a week ago to Thanksgiving. And let's talk about Antonio Gibson, another great performance from him. And this converted running back we've talked about quite a bit. You know, this guy was a wide receiver in college, and he's still fairly new to the position. But it seems like this guy's really starting to take off in the second half of the season here. And it seems like he's getting more comfortable with the playbook, more comfortable with the position. And I got to tell you, at this point, you know, between him and James Robinson, those are kind of the guys leading the pack of rookie running backs here. And I got to ask you what you've seen so far, not only this past week, but also the last few weeks with Antonio Gibson. Are you a believer in him as well, that you think this is a guy that going into next year is going to be a valuable fantasy commodity? Yeah, I really like Antonio Gibson. I liked him a lot coming into the season. You know, when Adrian Peterson got released from the team, I was saying, hey, take this guy in the fourth round. Like, that's where I think he should go be slotted in. And I got him in a bunch of leagues, and I'm really happy that I did because obviously that Thanksgiving performance really helped boost me up, kind of make a playoff run in some of my leagues. So I'm a really big fan of Antonio Gibson. Like you said, you know, every time the guy touched the ball in college, it was a big play. Like that's all he did. His yards per carry was off the charts. His yards per touch was off the charts as a receiver and running back. And coming into the year, we're like, okay, well, we know he's going to at least be using the passing game, and we'll see how he develops as a rusher. And it's been, of course, the total opposite of that, where right. <laughs> he's been the guy that's worked on early downs and has hardly been used at all on third down. So, again, you know, J.D. McKissick is going to continue to stay involved, but there's just the lack of just talent overall on this Washington football team makes it so much easier for the team to be like, all right, well, throw it to McLaurin and give it to Gibson. And like, that's the offense because they have Alex Smith, the quarterback. So to see all of them perform at this level and the fact the matter that they don't have, they're not really always playing with positive game scripts. They don't win a lot of games. I mean, look at their record and the fact that, Hey, if they get the right quarterback in this situation with Washington, you can see McLaurin and Gibson's fantasy value spike even more than it already is. Yeah. Look, I think that Gibson going into next year too, if McKissick isn't there, that becomes really intriguing because you imagine pass catching is not going to be his problem at some point. But look, I'm just very encouraged to see this guy starting to emerge because the rookie running back class, let's be honest, it's been disappointing. I think we can look back and say right now, none of those guys have really returned value except for James Robinson because he was free. <laughs> well, yeah, I think I think that's part of it, too. You know, the fact of the matter that James Robinson was free. I mean, he could be doing half of what he's doing right now and people would be like, Oh, I love this. And this right. is awesome. And the thing with him, he's really hard to read because the whole draft capital scenario where look, if the Jaguars draft their running back in the second round, again, not saying that's smart, but they also drafted Leonard Fournette over Patrick Mahomes and Deshaun Watson. So they've done that before. And UGM again, I'm, though, now, so hopefully, <laughs> you know, he was actually, you know, we were doing the past right now. He was on the future, but let's jump to the future and then we'll come back to the present. We'll jump around. <laughs> let's talk about Robinson because I guess that is becomes the big question is in keeper leagues. How do you feel about him going into next year? Because there is so much uncertainty. I can't imagine the coach still being there. Uh, you have a new GM already. Who's going to want to pick a new coach. 
you do have a high draft picks. You're going to have new quarterbacks. So a lot of things are going to change here, but is James Robinson going to be a victim of that change? Do you think like, is this the time in keeper leagues maybe to sell off? Like his value could never be higher because we've seen guys kind of come out of nowhere before have great years and then become one year wonders. Is that what James Robinson is? Or is he that diamond in the rough Adam Thielen undrafted free agent guy that becomes kind of a stalwart on your roster in keeper leagues? I mean, the way that I look at it, he gives off a lot of, hey, I'm like Zach Stacy, I'm Philip Lindsay, where, you know, kind of came out of nowhere in that season was the bell cow looked really good. And, you know, if you had Philip Lindsay, his rookie season and you had sold him right. off, you probably would have felt pretty good about it. So I think that he's a really volatile piece right now. Again, you can never go broke selling a guy at his peak value, which is like kind of is like right now. I mean, you can get first round pick value for him, probably just based on the fact that he's like a top five running back in the NFL. But the minute that Jacksonville draft, I mean, they're they're going to draft a running back at some point, and that running back is automatically going to have higher draft capital than James Robinson. They're going to be under the new coach, new GM, and they may ha- not, not may they may not have allegiance to James Robinson. And the thing that we right. love about Robinson has been the volume. Right. And the minute that that goes away, it's like, okay, well, I mean, he's been good on an efficiency standpoint, but how good is he going to be now that he's seeing sixty percent of the touches instead of ninety five percent? So. He's a very interesting character to talk about. I think that he may be a guy you buy low after the Jacksonville Jaguars draft a guy because people are going to freak out and probably overreact. <laughs> so it's um, either so you either do it now, you get yeah. out from Robinson now, or you know you're a buyer on the other end after yeah. the draft where people have already gotten sour because look, Philip Lindsay, remember they tried to replace him the second year and it didn't work. He ended up being the best guy in that backfield. So he's it's actually a really good comparison. I never really put those two guys together, but. It does seem to make a lot of sense of that's the same kind of thing you're working with here. And there's a danger element of it. But you're right. If all of a sudden next year he doesn't you know, get the same volume, there's a lot of concern. It's just so hard for these running backs and a lot of these players just to to outdo what their draft capital was. It's like atta- it's like that scarlet letter that's attached to them no matter what. And it matters because that's why you see guys like Leonard Fournette get a thousand chances because he was a first round pick. Like if he had been a six round pick, do you think the Buccaneers would have picked him up and then put him on the field? Like, no. <laughs> Look, this is why people listen to you when you talk, because they, they come for the football knowledge and they stay for the literary references. That's what happens here. A little scarlet letter action. All right, let's talk about a little present. Let's jump back in the uh, time machine. And let's talk about the Texans and Will Fuller, because, oh, Andrew, things are going so well for once with Will Fuller. And I was that guy saying, hey, now is the time. Take the risk. No Hopkins. What do you have to lose? And it looked great. And I looked like a genius. And here we are now. It's week 13. And this is what happened. So I guess you can kind of feel like, hey. If I told you you signed up for 12 good weeks of Will Fuller, you would have taken it, right? I think any of us would have taken it. But now he's off the board. I have no concerns about Deshaun Watson here. Anything that's going to happen with him going forward. The guy's been phenomenal, right, this whole year. But it's going to probably not just be Cooks. I know people are talking about QT, but we've seen him drop a lot of balls in the last couple of years. I think it's going to be more of the tight ends and maybe even somebody else emerging potentially. How do you see this kind of affecting the Houston team where, look, let's be honest, they played better since the coaching change and Watson's played out of his mind the last few weeks. I do think I agree with you on the tight ends. I like Jordan Aikens a lot. He was someone mm-hmm. that I kind of liked as a super deep sleeper at the tight end position. And he had looked really good in the beginning of the year. He got hurt, but right. now he's kind of established himself kind of as that tight end one in the offense. Again, they use a lot of different guys, but something I picked up looking at the personnel usage for the Houston Texans over the past two weeks. So including the game where Cobb got hurt and then in the last game they played in Thanksgiving, they've actually run 12 personnel, the two tight end sets at the highest rate in the NFL. So I do think that they're going to continue to leverage on the tight ends just to help in terms of protection as well. But I think that Aikens is going to be the lead pass catcher out of the bunch that he offers the most 
you know, upside as a vertical threat down the field and a guy who can make plays after the catch. Again, I think he's a little bit more nimble than a guy like Darren Fells. But I mean, yeah, the receivers and like Cootie, I'm not like too super excited about it. I mean, he's flashed at points. It didn't really, it was like Bill O'Brien. It seemed to like be kind of put him in the doghouse, you know, last year where we thought he, he could did. potentially be. Well, look, the drops put him in the doghouse. Let's be honest. I mean, he got opportunities last year. He just, he couldn't hold on to the football. And that's a problem. And, and look, maybe he deserved more opportunities. But, like, I understand the reasoning behind that. Yeah. And then there's Isaiah Coulter, who's a rookie. Randall Cobb is supposed to be coming back. And this guy named Steven Mitchell, who's on the practice squad. So not a lot of bodies, you know, to really throw the ball to. And I know you said you're not concerned about Watson. I am a little bit concerned. I mean, the splits with him and Wolf are on and off the field aren't great. I mean, he averages almost a passing touchdown less per game and 50 passing yards less per game. And again, you take away Hopkins, you take away Fuller. <laughs> like true. eventually it starts to add up just a little bit where you think, okay, maybe his 30 point ceiling now drops to 25 and his 25 point games become 20 point game. I mean, it's just a little bit. I mean, you can't say he's better without Fuller. And no, again, he's now not he's got, better. He's got, I don't think he's, I don't think he's done. I maybe we'll get Andre Johnson out of retirement. Maybe he can come back <laughs> and rip somebody's helmet off and play. Look, let's do one more future thing real quick. Cause I want to get your take on this last couple of weeks. I've been much better in terms of usage for Cam Akers. Is this the new trend that we're seeing here where he's getting some usage at the end of games, getting some usage when defenses are tired, getting work at the goal line? It feels like this might be this last push here. It could be a really useful time. And Akers is still basically available in more than 60% of leagues. So curiosity, do you think this Akers trend continues to get better or is this the limit? I think it's going to get better. I mean, look, he's a rookie. He's an aspiring player. I mean, he had a lot of he had an injury at the beginning of the season, and now he's starting to get fully acclimated in the offense. You know, Daryl Henderson hasn't been the same since he got back from his injury. You know, he was one of the highest graded rushers for PFF before the team's bye week. He got hurt right before their team's bye, and now he's kind of been dust, you know, ever since he came back. You know, Malcolm Brown is just a guy, and I can't imagine that they just don't try to lean on Akers a little bit more. I mean, they're in the hunt for that, you know, potential number one seed. At least they were. So I, I don't see why they wouldn't lean on acres and Sean McVay hasn't come out and said, Oh, we're going to get acres more touches because the last <laughs> time he did that, it was a full of crap. So, <laughs> so I mean, that got to take that as a good sign. And again, you know, he did technically lead the team in carries. If you look at plays negated by penalties last week, and he also got most of the carries inside the 10 yard line. So they're using him in high leverage situations. And I think right now, I mean, how can he not be the guy you rank the highest out of the Rams backfield? Because it seems like he clearly has the most upside on a per touch basis. Do you think next year he becomes the standalone guy? Like, do you think that he is going to prove enough potentially for him to be that? Or do you think it's going to still be a little bit of a RB by committee? I think that he eventually he'll he'll take over. I mean, he comes with the talent. He's got good draft capital attached to him. And he's a really talented guy at Florida. So of, State, all these so. guys, of all these guys this year, who's the one going into next year you think can really kind of outshine? Is it Edwards Alaire? Is it Taylor? Is it Swift? Is it Aker? Like, who's the guy for you? Is it Or maybe it's Gibson or Robinson. Man, it's that's a it's a loaded question. Uh, I mean, I guess I guess I'd probably go with Swift. I mean, Swift when he's been like gotten the work. I mean, he's been lights out. So yeah, I would I probably go with Swift. See, I'm with you. Swift was a guy that I thought was the best ROI too. All right, we're gonna hit a break. We come back. We're gonna do a little fantasy trivia here and make it tough for the smart guy here. We'll be right back right after this. More fantasy sports today with me and Andrew. Don't go anywhere. Sports Grid. SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com. 
All right, boys and girls, welcome back to Fantasy Sports Today, right here on Sports Grid. Andrew Erickson from Pro Football Focus joining us. And Andrew, obviously, you can be found on the Twitter machine at Andrew Erickson underscore. So please go stop everything you're doing. Go follow him over on Twitter immediately. Andrew, what do you got coming up for us uh, this week on Pro Football Focus? Got some starts and sits, breaking down some of the crucial questions people need to have answered with week 13 impending coming up. It's crucial because fancy playoffs are right around the corner, right around the corner, right here. So, you know, this week I, I decided to make life a little harder for you because we've been talking all week about Flipper Anderson and talking about like the biggest quarterback games ever in terms of that single day fantasy. But I'm going to make it tough because you're so damn smart. So here's your fantasy trivia question. If you are ready, which kicker had the highest single total fantasy game ever? I'll give you three options. The options okay. are A, Rob Baronis, B, Jay Feely of the Arizona Cardinals, Baronis, by the way, of the Tennessee Titans, and uh, last but perhaps least, I don't know, Kyrie Santos. So between these three guys, who you got? Santos, Baronis, or Feely? Come on. It's all up to you, Eric. Don't don't let us down, Erickson. Come on now. I think it's Rob Baronis. It is? Oh my goodness, he got it. Tell Let's him go. what he's won. He's won my respect. That's what you've won. You've won my respect and the respect of everybody here. Yes, Rob Baronis had once in 07, which I think is the year that Andrew was born, 28 fantasy points. Unbelievable outing. Are you somebody that wants to ban kickers? I know that's kind of the general thing. Do you play in leagues that still have kickers? Because I don't really play in many. I got one league that's a roto football league that makes us play two kickers, which is insane, but it's a roto football. But how about you? you, you you're banning the kicker? I mean, I'm pretty indifferent to it. I, I mean, I think it adds another element of strategy. I think it gives you an advantage if you're just like that much more in tune with the game. And I think it kind of rewards players that just kind of spend a little bit more of time, you know, looking at the roster. And look, I picked up Young Ho Koo off the waiver wire in a dynasty league last week. And he scored like 20 points. So I was pretty happy about that. And it's because I was paying attention. So it was like, I mean, I'll take advantage of it. But again, I'm not like out there like, no, I'm not playing in this league if there are no kickers involved. Uh, what I hate is the people who reach for a kicker like three rounds before the last round. I just don't understand. There's no advantage. None. It's it's completely arbitrary. It's silly. But uh, Andrew Erickson, ladies and gentlemen, he is kind to animals and to kickers and to uh, and to us for joining us here every week. So go follow him on Twitter again. Andrew Erickson underscore and check him out on PFF. Andrew, as always, thank you for your time and your knowledge, especially your knowledge about kickers. Hour one is in the books. Hour two of Fantasy Sports Today is just around the corner. So stick around. More Sports Grid right after this. 